Welcome to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Slayton, and I am so glad you're here. I empower leaders to delight their customers. I talk to guests with a wide range of expertise who share meaningful insights, wisdom, and practical tips that you can use immediately. I'm excited to announce the Trusted Guide Roadmap Masterclass for CX leaders who struggle with executive buy-in and are ready to go beyond CX fundamentals. This masterclass gives you proven frameworks and it takes you through a step-by-step, four-step model that will move you past the frustration of not getting your work done. It's unique because it's live, interpersonal, hands-on, and we give you tools and templates to help you build your CX roadmap. To learn more, visit empoweredcx.com. The next masterclass starts on February 27th, so don't wait. Well, on today's Delighted Customers podcast, I can't wait to jump into our conversation. On the show, I've got Mary Poppin. Mary is an employee experience expert, employee engagement expert. She's got tremendous background in the field. And more than that, she's a professor of practice at Michigan State University's Customer Experience Management master's degree program, a member of the faculty. I'm so honored and privileged to be on the faculty with her. And that's how that's how we met. Mary, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. And by the way, it's just such an honor to be on your show. I've just heard great things. So I I, I appreciate that. And I can't wait to jump into our conversation because, um, you know, not, not a whole lot really happens when it comes to delivering great, remarkable, outstanding experiences to customers without employees and the people who make that happen. So what you do, what you help other companies with and empower leaders with is just critical for the customer experience. So what before we jump into the conversation, could you share with people how you landed in the world of customer experience and a little bit about what you're doing today. Absolutely. Um, and we could probably go on for hours. So cut me off yeah. <laughs> if you know if I go too long. But I actually started um, in customer delivery in software as a service. So SaaS was really, you know, brand new in the market when I got into um, the technology industry. And I've actually spent most of my career in HR tech. Um, so in the early days of SaaS, there was this movement from on-prem kind of customer delivery type models to truly, you know, moving to putting customers at the center in a software as a service type of delivery model. And it took a little while to figure out that the old model really wasn't going to work just to have, you know, you, you, you sell the solution, um, you give it to services, and then they implement it and stand it up, and then you go to support. And the customer was really responsible for delivering, right, and managing their own software tech stack. So it was kind of like building houses. So it was really hard for customers once the house was built for them to move. But when SaaS came about, it was like renting apartments, so they could go from, you know, one, if they didn't like their landlord, they could kind of take their data and move to the next apartment building. And so without putting the customer at the center, you started to see customer churn. And as soon as the competitive landscape for software as a service offerings 
you know, grew, churn became even a bigger problem. And so I was really fortunate to be one of the kind of the early pioneers, if you will, in building what we now know as customer success from all the sort of trials and tribulations of what works and what doesn't work. And um, had an opportunity to, to kind of determine the delivery models for customers, the measurement, the alignment across the organization of the customer experience. Um, and by the way, it was definitely like pushing a boulder up a hill in many mm. cases because yeah. it's it's a huge transformation and change for companies to really move from being product centric or sales centric to truly being customer centric. Um, and so I've had the opportunity to help companies do that. But also being part of HR tech, I really got to see firsthand the impact of customer experience and employee experience together. Um, and so when employees were able to be empowered through this, the HR tech we were providing, the customer impact was incredible. So the more you know, visibility employees had, the more empowered they were, the better results they could bring to their customers. And so I got to see firsthand how those two things together helped companies get better outcomes. So it's pretty incredible. And that led me really to, to what I'm doing today, being part of the faculty of an MSU focused on employee engagement and experience and how that impacts customer experience and business outcomes. And it also led me to more recently start my own services firm focused on helping companies put employees at the center of their business, along with their customers, where they both should be. Mm. So I want to dig into that a little bit too, but um, just so, just for a point of reference, so before your class is employee experience, and then yours is employee engagement, right? And then comes mine, um, which is customer relationship management. So I'm heavy into the relationship piece. Uh, and so there, it's a, I'm lucky to get students right after Mary uh, <laughs> because you you prep them, you set them up for. Although the only thing is, you set the bar a little too high. I don't know about that, <laughs> but they're they're lucky to get you. Well, so so um, I love this. I think there's a real need for it. Um, this idea of uh, not just well, actually, maybe that's a good place to start. Is we're going to say employee experience, but then there's employee engagement. So maybe we could start by uh, defining the difference for people who may not be familiar. Yeah, I think you're right. Today, a lot of um, there's a lot of sort of interchange between um, talking about employee engagement and employee experience. Employee experience is sort of used um, for for many things that yes. should be broken out a little bit more, right? If you think about employee experience kind of holistically, it's really how the employee experiences the organization across their life cycle related to culture, processes, systems, their teammates, their manager, all of those things and the experience they have. But engagement is really how do you feel about it? Mm. Um, and engaged employees are really emotionally committed to the organization and to, and to its mission. And, and so that's really the difference that is how they feel about it, I guess, is the best way to, to say, you know, how they feel about their experience overall. Yeah, I love it. And, and as uh, curious to get your thoughts on this, but as you're talking the parallels between customer experience and customer engagement are, mm -hmm. are pretty identical. Like customer experience, I'm 
people have all sorts of convoluted definitions uh, and and labels for what customer experience is nowadays, but really it is about the customer's perception of any any interaction they have with your brand. And then the engagement piece is like, what are they doing? What's their action? I, I all I can one of the things that comes to mind is like uh, since we're talk since we're both uh, we're not at the campus in East Lansing, but we work at, at a college. And one of the things I've always heard is like, what are the students? What, what percentage of them are wearing gear? Mm. You know, it's an interesting yeah. engagement because it's how they feel and what are they doing. And yeah, it's totally random and unscientific. But I bet if you were to just stand at some. Uh, I went to University of Maryland, so they call it the mall where this like big central area is, but student union, library, whatever. And you just watched people and over a period, you could probably, you know, compare two schools and see which one has more kind of school pride, but engagement. Yeah. hundred percent. I actually have a term. uh, So I've sort of over time from my experience between what separates a a good company from a great company mm. in terms of, you know, just the business results overall. But what I've, what I've found um, is there's really two secret ingredients, if you will. Mm. Uh, one is what I call contagious enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other is customer intimacy. So, and that word scares people a lot of like, Ooh, what does that really mean? But I've never found another word that better describes what it is. So customer intimacy is knowing your customer better than anyone else, right? Knowing what they need, when they need it, and being able to ultimately even predict what they're going to need and proactively provide that to customers. Um, And that comes through engaged employees um, who have the tools and resources and knowledge and are empowered to deliver for their customers, And the contagious enthusiasm comes in when you've got really engaged employees and really engaged and satisfied customers. And there's this, in some some organizations, it's actually palpable because you can walk in brick and mortar or a restaurant. I like to use In-N-Out Burger as an example, but there's a feeling that the employees are happy, they're engaged, they're enjoying what they're doing, they love the company. And the customers absolutely love being there. They love interacting with the staff. You know, they recommend it to their friends. It's all the stuff they say about you when you're not in the room that they're, you know, talking about how much they they love, right, the, the company. Um, and that's really this contagious enthusiasm, which is this spiral of, you know, loving the company, loving the mission, uh, loving the results, right? And, and so when both of those things are present, I've seen organizations just accomplish you know, greater stock price, greater innovation, um, higher employee and customer retention, greater growth rates, all of those positive things that really come when you do the right thing for people, right? The business results come. Yeah. So that is really the big deal, right? Is is there's a there's a correlation between engaged employees. Uh, companies that have contagious enthusiasm mm-hmm. uh, and business results, right? Say more about that. So we have, I actually, I like to use um, success factors because this was something that I could feel, you know, as a, an employee um, as at that organization. So the mission was really about helping 
people love work again and love the work they do. And so it that was on the people side. And then for the business, it was about business execution and improving your business result, results through your employees. And so the messaging resonated with our customers from you know the decision makers to the employees because success directors was is a talent management um, product. And in, in the early days, it was a very first opportunity for customers to have a technology that would make their employees visible. The goals that they were accomplishing, the performance, you know, reviews, the development um, focus for employees was all centralized. And you could start to do things like calibrate performance reviews, implement succession plans. Like these are all things that were really hard in the past because you had binders of information on people, right? And by the time you could run analyses and reports, people had already left the organization, right? And so it really was game changing uh, in that respect. But we had a mission that was so people driven and it actually worked. So when customers used it as designed, they got incredible results. Their business grew, their employees you know, were uh, higher retention. The promotion rate internally you know, increased because people now could see who the successors were and who they could keep in their organization top talent and promote them and give them opportunities. And so it really was a game changing, you know, time uh, of doing things differently. But it it allowed me there to see I'm hyper engaged. I would talk about the company everywhere to everybody, friends and family. I would refer, I referred so many, you know, employees um, and customers. And customers would talk about us when we weren't in the room and we grew crazy fast. We IPO'd and then we got acquired by SAP. Um, so mm -hmm. it was just, it, it's such a good success story. But to me, it comes down to, you know, having really engaged employees who are empowered and believe in the mission and are delivering great things for customers. And then the customers, right? The product itself delivers great things for the customers. And so they're, you know, all in and they're engaged. Um, and so those two things together create what I call the all in zone. <laughs> wait, wait, say that last part again. You call it, it called the what? The all in zone. All in zone. So you've got employees who are fully committed. Yeah. Yeah. We, and I call it the all in zone because if you think about, um, a four box, right? Like all consultants <laughs> talk about, they have their frameworks and boxes. Yeah. If you have employee engagement on one continuum and customer engagement and satisfaction on another continuum, like the top right quadrant is highly engaged employees and highly engaged customers. And mm. now you have these incredible results. It's where contagious enthusiasm and customer intimacy live. <laughs> well, and, and I know I know you wrote some on churn. Um, and, and so tell me more about that can, you know, what, what were some of the highlights of that work that you did on churn and how it connects to employee engagement? Yeah. So we, um, one of the things that I've done in the past is actually done some linkage analysis work, both when I, you know, was running, uh, the, the customer function as a chief customer officer, but also have advised other companies to do, which is, um, Take the data that you have for all of your customer you know, satisfaction, customer growth, your revenue, 
all of that great, rich information, and then the information you have on your employees in terms of their sentiment and engagement scores um, and any other like onboarding survey experience, those kinds of things, and all of the data you have on your employees. And now bring that together and you can start to run some linkage analysis between really engaged employees and customer results or employees who are have a great onboarding experience versus those who don't. And what are sort of the outcomes over time across, um, across that employee experience related mm-hmm. to customer data, right? And so there's all this opportunity to start to um, leverage the data to determine what is the impact of your employee experience and your employee engagement on customer results and business results? And so it's not easy, but even if you start small and you say, we're going to take one measure of you know, our annual employee engagement scores or our quarterly scores and compare that to our customer satisfaction scores or our NPS scores, um, pick, pick something, a single comparison of each. And just start to look at the relationship between those, you know, data sets. And you can start to see, you know, what are the things you're doing in the organization that are having a positive impact on both? Mm-hmm. And where are the gaps? Where do you need to start prioritizing action and resources? Mm. Um, I, I, I can't help having this conversation and not bring up the service profit chain. Yes. Um, and I'm sure I'm sure you're familiar with it just at a high level. Um, the, these, these Harvard professors came up and then they wrote a book, um, I don't know, 20, 25 years ago called the service profit chain. And, and it's the idea that, you know, your company strategies lead to employee experiences and the degree to which the employee experiences are good, you will have good customer experiences, which lead to good financial performance. Um, and so there's the chain. And so one of the things that you can miss out on is the crucial importance of the employee experience and the correlation. And I remember reading, I'd love to get your your thoughts on this, but I remember reading the study, I think it was State Farm or Allstate, I can't remember. They, you know, those, they looked at companies that had locations all over and those locations within the same company, so kind of standardizing um, that had the highest employee experience levels had the best business performance. And it was not just by a little bit, it was by a lot. So um, I'm sure you're familiar with that, that study. Yeah. And there's several, there's several really good ones out there. There's a lot of research and um, that universities have done and published, Mm. you know, um, linkages between employee engagement, customer uh, experience and satisfaction and business results. I think, you know, one of the one of the things that I tell folks is to get a business case from your CFO for more resources in customer experience and delivery is to show that linkage to revenue. Um, because it's hard to argue that if you could have a 10x return simply by, you know, having, for example, a customer success manager overseeing a portfolio of customers, it's hard to argue that it isn't valuable, right? Yeah. So bringing the case back to the impact on revenue. Um, and and again, I'll go back to most organizations have some level of data that they could use to run these analyses. Um, and so encourage whoever's listening, you know, to think about what, what you can do in your organization. But being able to show that impact allows you to 
ask for resources, implement new programs or new technology, right? Because you're going to be able to tie it back to improvements in revenue. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, it's one of the things that it's, it's impossible to avoid if you're going, to, if you're a CX person, you're a change agent. If you want to make change, you've, you're going to need resources. You're going to need people to help you do it. You, therefore, you're going to have to prove the return on the investment. And that, that's the language of the, the C-suite speaks. So to your point, um, you, you need to help. It's not even really optional. You need to help make the business case to the best of your ability you know, and at least at the beginning, um, you, you could start with what I call statistical inference, which is sort of industry studies or, you know, books like Winning on Purpose, where Fred Fred compares the top performers. He, he used the good to great companies and talked about how the CX leaders blew away the good to great companies, um, CX leading companies um, over, over time. So, um, but but I would love to hear from you before we get into it. I'd love to hear from you about some steps that companies can actually take some first steps. But before we do, what what do you think are some of the biggest obstacles to engaging employees? Um, I think, you know, for the for an organization to make it a priority to mm. focus on their people and on their employees and to understand, right, the impact that their employees are having on the business. Um, it's one of the obstacles. And I, it kind of blows my mind when you think about it, but how often are CHROs not invited to strategy meetings or board meetings or, you know, um, strategy reviews. And I, I think about it and like, who is in the best position in the company to talk about how you're going to meet future growth? How are you going to open a new market? Right. You need people, you need the right skills, you need the right resources, and you need to know what you have internally and what you need to build, right? And who has that information? HR, right? right? right. Uh, and so I, I think it's the priority of the organization to focus on the employee experience. Um, and I also think unless it's woven into the culture, and becoming part of the operating cadence, then it makes it really difficult because then it's just a compliance or check the box program. Do you have an engagement survey? Yep, we run it once a year. We look for a 1% improvement year over year. I mean, that isn't gonna be transformational or even really impact your employee experience. So it's truly the companies who are doing it well are building it into the fabric of their organizations. Mm. Well said. Um, and to that point, uh, when you think about some common mistakes mm -hmm. that are actually diminishing engagement, what, what comes to mind? You know, you'll probably think of, you can probably think of examples from, from your past as well. Um, but I think the biggest mistake that managers or leaders make is assuming everyone is motivated by the same things. Mm. And so you put incentives in place and, and you think, of course, they'll want it to do this or this will be important to them. But not thinking through, some people like public recognition. Some people like private recognition by you know the level up leader. Some people are motivated by bonuses and more money. Some people truly just want more development opportunities. So 
not taking the time to know your employees and figuring out what they want, you know, is a huge mistake. Um, the other piece is, I think, just lack of employee listening in general, not having uh, either a formal way across the organization to listen to employees and or managers taking the time, you know, having one-on-ones and really talking to their employees and engaging with them. Yeah, I want to I want to tie that back to something you said earlier, which was part of the contagious enthusiasm secret, um, which is the idea of um, customer intimacy. And I want to talk about that word intimacy for a minute, but also knowing your employee. So um, I found that true on the customer side. We did when I worked at, at a bank in the in the D.C. area, uh, focus groups with uh 36 different businesses, 12, 12 in, in different groups over a two-year period of time. And the themes that we came up with, and probably the, the overriding theme was, know me. Um, we were a mid-sized bank that had gone from small to medium. And lots of small businesses do business with banks. Um, and it may be true for your company if you're listening as well. So small businesses have their own ebb and flow, their own nuances, and in some cases, their own cash flow cycles. And so the big banks don't care about your cash flow cycles. So what makes you different if you know me and you know that I'm in pipeline construction and that we cycle the end of every year and then the money comes in the end of the first quarter, um, you're not going to either you know, limit my fund access, raise my interest rates, or do any of the, cut me off, do any of those bad things, call, call in my line of credit. You will understand my business. And, and that maybe doesn't apply to, to employee uh, engagement, but maybe it does. So sh- what are your thoughts about that? 100%. Hmm. I mean, the best way to get started um, is ask your employees how they are, what do they need, right? And if you don't ask, then you're just, you know, it's like throwing darts at a dartboard. You may or may not hit the mark with actions that you take. Yeah. So start by having the conversation um, and asking them directly. So, Mary, to that point, you mentioned one-on-ones. And I remember that, um, and I've heard this through different organizations that c- clearly one-on-ones are, whether they're remote or whether they're in person, um, they're really, really important because, they're a way for you to go deep, to really deeply understand what's going on in the employee's world, to communicate better. And yet uh, there was a percentage of, of managers who, who didn't do them at all, uh, some pretty high level. So what would that be considered a mistake? Mm-hmm. Uh, resounding, yes. <laughs> uh, and I, you know, I will share with you that um, during COVID, so um, at Glint, we were, you know, we obviously captured a lot of employee uh, engagement data and we had trends and, you know, high level anonymous, of course, non-identifiable information, yeah. trends, you know, across um, industries and just as a whole, when COVID hit and employees began working remotely, the you saw a spike in one-on-ones, consistent one-on-ones happening. The reason was everyone, especially leaders, felt 
disconnected, right? Because you weren't in the office to sort of get a pulse or have a conversation. Those one-on-ones became a lifeline to figure out what's going on. Not only how are people doing, but just get business information as well. We saw an increase in manager support scores, like really dramatically increase over a six-month period. And that, I mean, that was goodness for the employee and the company, but it sort of forced these one-on-ones to be the avenue, right, for, for managers to stay engaged and connected with their team and to figure out what's going on. So I hope, you know, that lesson learned will continue and one-on-ones continue to be important. But what happens when you don't have them consistently is that employees start to feel, right, you only want to meet with them as sort of a tactical exchange, right? Mm-hmm. What are you working on? Give me Instead of making it about what they need and development type of conversations along with just resource support, right? It makes a big difference how often you meet with them and the types of things you talk about. Yeah. And and I want to cycle back to something else you said, which was intimacy, which was um, customer intimacy. But in this case, um, you said it was an, an interesting word and it is. And I just wanted to affirm the word itself and the concept behind it because I was, um, so I'm a big fan of Charlie Green who wrote the Trusted Advisor and I was part of Trusted Advisor Associates and I worked with Charlie for years um, back when I'm still connected with him and uh, developed a program called Trusted Guide Roadmap. It's a masterclass for CX, like a 2.0 class for CX people and trust is a big part. And in that is the, the four trust variables of the trust equation. And one of those is intimacy. And I get a lot of times I get wait a minute, that's, that's an odd word. Why, I, you know, why are you using the word intimacy? Well, it doesn't mean sort of the obvious thing that you think about when it, you think about intimacy. We're, we're talking about the degree you create. You know, it's all connected to, these are variables of trustworthiness, how people view you in terms of your trustworthiness, which would be important for a manager of an employee, right? Um, and so the idea of intimacy is, are, are you a, a safe place a safe haven for difficult conversations or for sensitive information. That that aspect of trustworthiness. You think about people who you know who you would consider a vault, right? You yeah. you would share something very confidential with these people. And that's a that's a great quality to have. And so the the designers of the trust equation intentionally chose that word because it is such a rich word and it's a bit provocative but it symbolizes getting past the surface. So I'm wondering when you talked about this contagious enthusiasm, were there some of the same thinking going on why you chose that word? So it's a really great, I'm I'm glad you bring up the safety part because Mm. um, I have always thought about it in the sense of, do you know your employees as individuals? And do you know how they like to be recognized, what Mm. they need to do their job? Some people need more direction, some don't want direction, right? They want, and and if you take a blanket approach as a leader, again, you're only gonna hit the mark X amount of times, right? But if you really get to know your team, you can inspire them all from a personalized perspective. And it doesn't take a lot of work, it just takes, you know, consistently being there and having, you know, meetings with them. It isn't 
like you have to schedule hours and hours of time. You All right. Can I, have- can I just stop you right there and just pull out a gem? So you sometimes people who are guests, like just go through things pretty quickly and like, wait a minute, you just hit on something there that I think is really important. And, and that is the myth that it takes some sort of rocket science or advanced degree or life, you know, big investment, a commitment of time. What you said, it actually doesn't require all those things. No. Right. It just, it just takes, you know, carving out some time to get to know them and making it part of your typical operating cadence. Build it into what you do, and it isn't a lot of additional work. On top of that, what you learn, it's actually going to help you be more effective and efficient in your job because you're going to be able to provide people what they need when they need it instead of guessing and having to backtrack or fix things, right? So at the end of the day, it's it's a a win-win. But I do want to touch on the safety side of it because psychological safety is such a huge part of employee engagement. Mm. and. And whether they feel they can share their feelings or not. So it's sort of twofold. Um, Are they going to give you accurate feedback and participate? And are they going to feel good in, you know, the environment? So they want to stay. And part of that, you know, intimacy, I'll take customer intimacy, turn it into employee intimacy, is they do feel safe. And they can talk to you and tell you what they need and that you're going to take action on it and that you care. I think the biggest thing is list, you know, listening and seeing you um, help them solution or or take action on their feedback builds that it builds that intimacy further. But it is to your point, it's based on that safety of I can say what I need to say to get what I need as an employee and be successful. Yeah, and and if they can't express that, how are you going to actually solve for that? Like if they can, you don't even feel so uh, comfortable or safe telling you that. So I, I'm guessing that may be one of the things that I'm going to ask you about some steps that leaders can do to encourage employee engagement. I'm guessing, you know, sort of regular one-on-ones, getting to know your employees. Share with us some some ideas you have around how leaders can um, take some first steps toward building this employee engagement further. So I, I do think, you know, it's asking them and, and actually making time for them and showing that you care. And even mm-hmm. beyond that, actually caring is really important. But um, also think about ways that, well, one, communicating with them what you are doing, right? That you heard them and that you are taking action. A lot of times, by the way, that organizationally or from a manager level, the communication side and closing the loop is always what I've seen, um, one of the challenges that's low-hanging fruit that could be, you know, closed quickly, and you'll see incredible, you know, increase in engagement or business results simply by telling people, "I heard you. Here's the action we're taking. Here's the progress we're making." So that closed-loop part of the listening and action journey, right? Mm-hmm. The other piece, you know, I would recommend is recognition is a huge part of engaging employees and, you know, showing appreciation uh, for the work that they do. And so finding ways to recognize strong performance that is meaningful and personal to each employee. These efforts, if, if you just focus on recognition, you're going to start to see a difference and improvement. Excellent. Those are some great 
great ideas. Um, and, and it makes sense. And uh, I'm sure someone like you could help companies with that because, um, you know, knowledge, experience and wisdom that you bring to the table from all of your years could help develop a, a, a strong program that met because, you know, some even with something as simple, what you would think as simple as recognition uh, requires some knowledge and wisdom about how to approach it. Exactly. Well, yes, we can help um, for sure. And But there's something to think about too, which kind of goes back to the time, uh, you know, the myths. And the myths are that recognition is expensive and you have to put all of this strategy behind recognition. And I want to just go back to what a manager can do themselves is it can be something as little as writing a post-it note and saying thank you mm. or you know, having your manager reach out and acknowledge work that one of your employees has done. These are things that don't cost money, but they make such a huge impact, right? And and these are long-term impacts on employees because you're getting at the emotional side, right? The engagement, the emotional commitment to you and to the business. Yeah. So it doesn't, yeah, doesn't have to be super, you know, expensive and strategic. You can get started right away. Excellent. Some great, great ideas. Great ideas. Love it. Uh, we covered myths. We covered mistakes. We covered also all sorts of things today. And so appreciate you and so much wisdom that you bring. We got We're going to have to land the plane here soon. But before we do, uh, one last question for you, which is what I ask all my guests, which is what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? It is such a good question. I think there's a lot of advice that I'd give myself. Um, one of the things that I struggled with through my career has been the imposter syndrome. You've probably mm. heard about it, yeah. right? Um, but I also recognize that people don't talk about it. Um, so what I would have told my you know 20 year old self is be aware of and find ways to mitigate imposter syndrome. And you can find allies, you know, in your organization. Find a single ally, somebody you trust that you can go to and talk about your feelings without fear of being judged, who can help you think through how do you move beyond that? Because sometimes it can, you know, paralyze you almost from speaking up in meetings or taking action. And, you know, for me, being one of the youngest and only female executive around a room of, of um, executives at a board meeting for, an, for a tech company, was really intimidating. Um, it almost felt like, you know, oh, um, I was given the opportunity to be here instead mm. of I earned, you know, the yeah. right through, through all my results and everything to be there. Um, and if I had had a sounding board, you know, inside that team or in the organization would have helped overcome a lot of those feelings, which are exhausting mentally and physically. Right. right. Um, so that's probably what I would tell my 20 year old self. Yeah. I love that idea. Get, get some help, get some help from someone who you trust, who's wise. Yes. Well that's, said. That is great. Um, Hey, Mary, if, uh, if someone's listening and they'd just like to connect with you uh, relative to MSU or maybe in their business, they need some help. What would be the best way for them to reach you? LinkedIn is always a great way to find me. Just Mary Poppin and uh, connect with me, reach out, direct message me. I check it out every day. Okay. And it's P-O-P-P-E-N, right? Yes, correct. All right. Well, thank you, Mary. Such a great, great guest and so much fun having you on the show. Thank you for coming. 
Thanks for having me. I always enjoy our conversations. Well, thanks for listening to the Delighted Customers podcast. I want to ask you to do two things. If you have enjoyed this episode or any of my other ones, hit subscribe or follow. I've got a lot of other great guests that are coming up and a lot of other great content, and I don't want you to miss anything. You can find any links or references on this show in the show notes, and you can find those on my website at empoweredcx.com. Ladies, at Essentia Health, you're not just a patient. You're a partner in your healthcare journey. We'll get to the heart of your health questions, even the ones you're embarrassed to ask. We'll find solutions to fit your unique needs and lifestyle, because here, we're in it together. Feel confident in your care and in yourself. Schedule a women's health appointment with an Essentia Health provider today. Click the banner to learn more.